Well, tomorrow is Memorial Day, as you know, and for most of us, it's a day of fun. Uh, It's a day off from work for most people, but actually it's a day that's been set aside for all of us to remember. And what we are to remember tomorrow is, are the people who gave their lives in the armed services. We're to remember who they were and what they did and what they gave so that all of us can enjoy the life and the freedom that we all experience here uh, in America. And it's also a day for us to remember or to at least think about who we would be and where we would be had those people not made that sacrifice. Well, completely apart from my planning uh, in any way, the passage that we're going to read this morning is a call for us to remember as well. It's like a call to a spiritual Memorial Day. It's a call to remember and never forget who God is and what he has done and what he is doing. It's a call to remember not our independence, but instead our absolute dependence on God for all things. And so on this weekend of remembering, I just feel like God really wants to impress upon us this morning how important it is that we be people who remember and never forget. And that's a what I hope we'll accomplish this morning as we come to Deuteronomy chapter 8. I'm going to ask you to stand because we're going to hear read together the word of the living God. From Deuteronomy chapter 8, beginning in verse 1, this is Moses addressing the people as they prepare to enter the promised land. Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your forefathers. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out. Your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with streams and pools of water, with springs flowing in the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey. A land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing. A land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws and his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, When you build, find houses and settle down. And when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful desert, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of the hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the desert something your fathers had never known, to humble, to test you, so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power 
and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth, and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is today. Let's pray together. Lord, we do ask now that you would bless this reading, and hearing, and preaching of your word. Spirit of God, we ask that you would open our eyes to see your truth and our ears to hear it, or that we would open our hearts to the truth of your word, to be changed and transformed by it. Pray the work would be yours this morning through the power of your spirit and through your word. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Last week when we looked at this passage, we talked about obedience. On verse 1, Moses called the people to be careful to follow every command of the Lord so that they may find life. We find life, all of us, true life, real life, meaningful life, transforming life when we live in obedience to the Word of God. And when you and I first experience that transformation that comes when the Spirit of God joins the Word of God and makes us new people, then we together have the ability and the hope for the culture around us. Because when you send an army of people whose lives have been transformed by the Word of God and the Spirit of God, when you send an army of people who are living in obedience to the Word of God, their lives will necessarily be marked by love and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness, and faithfulness, and maybe most importantly in the culture around us, our lives will be marked by self-control. When you send people like that into the world and the culture around us, it's going to change. This morning, we want to add to that characteristic of obedience another characteristic that we should have as believers in Christ, first for ourselves and then with the hope of transforming the world around us, and that is humility. You and I, are called to be humble people. So don't tune me out yet. Humility, blah, blah, blah. And don't categorize yourself yet. Because you'd be amazed at the number of people who think they're really humble. (laughs) I am such a humble... I'm the most humble person I know. Look, if you think that, maybe you're not so humble after all. And so instead of categorizing yourself, let's all do this. Let's let the passage describe humility for us. And then you and I can look at our own lives and see if truly we are humble people and if we are the extent of which humility plays a role in our lives. So look with me in verse 2. It says there, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years. And so here's the command of the verse, and that is to remember. Now why does God call his people to, to remember, to look back, to go back, and not just keep moving forward? Well, the command of the Lord is because the place that those memories will take those people, the effect that those memories will have on them, and the emotions that they will produce, because all of us know that memories are really powerful. You know, you you put together a slideshow of old photos into a PowerPoint, and you choose just the right song to be playing in the background, and what's going to happen? Within a few moments, people are either going to be laughing or they're going to be crying, or maybe they're going to be doing both of those things. Memories are powerful, life-shaping forces. And so it is for God's people. He calls them here to remember how he led them all the way in the desert those 40 years. 
And verses 3 and 5 describe what that leading looks like. Remember, you were hungry. You were really hungry. All the food was gone. There was no place in that vast desert for you to buy food. There were no ingredients for you to make even a loaf with. But the Lord fed you manna from heaven. Remember, there were no sheep in that desert to be shorn for their wool. There was no market in which to shop. And yet in 40 years, 40 years, your clothes did not wear out. I don't know if that would be a blessing or a curse. If Moses were speaking to us right now, because you know what year that would make it? 1974. The 70s. Most of you all weren't even born, but you've seen that 70s show. Can you imagine wearing now what you had on then? For me, it would have been a pair of bell-bottom jeans made of a white panel and a blue panel and a red panel, all sewn together. Red, white, and blue bell-bottoms. Yeah, that was me. Can you imagine wearing those 40 years later? But I guess that would be a blessing if you had nothing else, which is what the people had. And so the clothes did not wear out. Remember that blessing. Remember, Moses says, all that walking in the hot Dry, dusty, desert, but your feet did not swell. Even the feet of the old people, they didn't swell. And their sandals didn't wear out. Remember that. Verse 15 produces even more memories of what God's leading looked like. They were to remember that in all those 40 years, God protected them from the venomous bites of the snakes and the scorpions. They were to remember when they were thirsty that God caused water to come out of a hard rock. They were to remember how vast and dreadful the desert was. In other words, using scripture to describe dreadful are fearful, terrifying, causing dismay and awe. The desert, where they lived for 40 years, was a desolate and scary place. And so Moses says here, remember. Remember all that God did for you in that place, because your memories will take you to a very important place a place of humility. They will take you back to a time and a place when you were absolutely beyond the shadow of a doubt at the end of yourself. Every prop, every prop taken away, every crutch was gone. Nothing was left to the people of God. Nothing was left to the people of God except one thing, one thing, to trust God. And that can be a humbling place to be. Rarely is there an occasion in our life or a circumstance when we can't do something for ourselves. It's unusual where there's not someone that we can turn to for help. On January 9th of this year, 7,500 gallons of a chemical was spilled on the ground by the Elk River in West Virginia. It was just one mile upstream from the water a filtration and distribution center. And the spill was so bad that the filtration system couldn't keep up. And so 300,000 people in nine counties were completely without water to drink. They had no water to cook with, no water to bathe in, nothing. One day later, January 10th, FEMA sent 4,900 gallons of water to that area of West Virginia. Two days later, January 11th, the Department of Homeland Security sent 16 tractor trailers of bottled water for a total of 370,000 gallons of water. Now see, that's life for us here in America, isn't it? We aren't easily defeated. We're not easily humbled. 
there always seems to be somewhere or someone else to turn to. And so these people in West Virginia, they didn't even have to go one entire day without water. But what if one day had turned into two days? And two days into three days? And what if that had turned into two weeks and three weeks and four weeks without water? How then would the people have reacted? What if there was nowhere else to turn? What if everyone's water was polluted and untreatable? We can't imagine that. But what if? What if that happened? What would we be forced to do then? We'd be forced to depend on the Lord, wouldn't we? I bet churches would have been full of people who were praying, Lord, send rain. Lord, send rain. We'll catch it if you'll send it. But because help was so readily available, I bet not even one prayer meeting was called. And yet we're to pray about all things. We're called to pray without ceasing because prayer demonstrates that we are truly humble people. Prayer demonstrates that we are dependent on God. But it seems that we so seldom really have a felt need to pray. You and I find it really easy to take care of ourselves apart from asking for God for his help. We pray out of obedience, and that is a very good thing to do. But it's much more infrequent that we pray because there is nothing left for us to do except this one thing, to trust the Lord. In fact, it seems to me, I know it's true in my life, that we are always striving to be independent. We want to get to a place where we don't really need the Lord or other people because we've got it. We can take care of it on our own. And it's easy for us to believe that it's a good thing not to need the Lord. To be able to take care of ourselves when in fact, in fact, a life of dependence is a richer life. A life of dependence is a bigger life. A life of dependence is a more exciting life. A life of self-provision is limited to what we can provide for ourselves. And how much is that, really? At least in comparison to what God can provide for us. A life of God provision is limitless because the world and everything in it belongs to the, to the Lord. That's what David says. King David in Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who live in it. The resources of God are limitless and they belong to Him to distribute in any way He sees fit. So how can we think that dependence is a limitation or a handicap. The real handicap in this life is if we haven't learned humility and dependence. And so before the Lord allows his people to enter into the promised land, the land that is abundant, the land that's full of every good thing that they'll ever need, before he allows them to experience that, he's got to teach them humility. Before they're overwhelmed by the bounty, He's got to teach them who they really are, dependent people, and who he really is, an amazingly generous provider. And that's what makes a humble person. A humble person, like an obedient person, can change the world. And that's why God wants you and me this morning to be people of true humility. So look again in verse 3. It says there that the purpose of the desert was to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, 
See, the test wasn't for God to know what was in their heart. Oh, I'm not sure what's there. Let me give you a test. No, God already knew what was in their hearts. And what was in their hearts was pride and self-sufficiency and disobedience. That's what landed them in the desert in the first place. God told them 40 years before, go take the promised land. But the people checked out the promised land and they saw all the obstacles there, not least of which were the giants that lived there. They said, oh, no, 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 we can't do that. We cannot do that. So we will not obey. They were limited by what they could do without God. And so this test in the desert was for the people to discover, to uncover what was truly in their hearts. God already knew. Just as God knew where Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden after they sinned, they were hiding. And God knew they were hiding when God said to them, where are you? Because God's questions are never so he will discover an answer or information that he didn't already know. He asked, where are you, to Adam and Eve, so that they would have to answer the question, we're hiding. And when that answer came out of their mouth, when they said it out loud, perhaps they would discover what had changed in their lives. Why are we hiding? What's changed? Before we sinned, we always walked with God in the cool of the evening, and now we are hiding from Him. And so in the desert... The Lord tests his people so that they'll know what is in their hearts. Independence, self-sufficiency, or absolute trust in the Lord. So what's in your heart? And what's in my heart? The Lord came to us this morning and said, where are you? If he said to us, what are you doing? What would your answer be? It's a test that brings out what's in our hearts. You know, unless we are called to do something, we don't know what we would do in that situation. We can talk about starving and what we would do if we were starving. But if our stomachs are full or we know how we can fill our stomachs very easily, we don't know what we would do when we were starving. At that point, it's all just ideas. It's all just theory to us. Unless we truly fear for our lives, we wouldn't know what we would do when we truly feared for our lives. At this point, it's all all theory. And it's all untested. It's only a test that brings out what's really inside of you and me. How much we own what we say we believe. And the desert tested the people of God. And that's the purpose of God's test. To reveal what was in their hearts. You know, most often it's easier to show people than it is to tell them. And so he allowed them to experience hunger. And God allowed them to experience thirst. And so the result of the test... The lesson learned by God's people was this. We must depend on God for all things. We can depend on God for all things. We must depend on God for all things. We can depend on God for all things. So there, there it is. And it's not until we have come to that place in our hearts where we really know that, where we really believe that, where we really live that out in our lives that we are the humble people that God wants us to be. God's people are humble when they remember their utter helplessness and hopelessness apart from the provision of the Lord, when they never forget that. Because our lives are to be lived in submission and under the authority dependent on a God who is good and gracious and great and glorious. And when we look to Him for all things, 
We will accomplish great things. What do you have in your heart right now to do? What is it that you think in your heart that would be a great thing to do? You know, if we, together in our heart, have it that we would really truly like to transform our culture with the gospel of Jesus Christ, for the sake of Christ, if that is what is in our heart to accomplish, how much further do you think we would go in accomplishing that goal when we are looking to God for His help and looking to God for His provision and looking to God to be the one to bring about the change? See, we think that we look to God intuitively as believers. Oh, I'm a believer in Christ. I, I look to God for everything. But, but that really isn't the case. Because we are talented people. We're capable people. God has given us a lot of good abilities. And God allows us to accomplish a lot of stuff with the gifts and the talents that He has loaned to us without our ever looking to Him or asking for His help. But that's a dangerous attitude to embrace. Oh, I can do it. Especially when you're about to be blessed with the riches with which God is about to bless His people. Look at the description again in verses 7 through 9. I'm not going to read that again, but there's a description of the beauty and the bounty of the promised land. A place where God says, you will lack nothing. Everything you need, you're going to have. And then Moses reminds the people in verse 10. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the land that He has given you. And then look in verse 11. There's the call once again to remember. And be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe His commands, His laws and His decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, And when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud. And you'll forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And what happens when we forget and don't remember? Look in verse 17. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. Oh, there we have it. The self-made man the self-made woman, taking credit for all that we have, taking credit for the place we were born, that either through its bounty gave us a foot up in life or through its poverty forged forged a character of determination in us. Taking credit for the mind that God has given us that's strong enough to be developed. Taking credit for the life that God gives us in our bodies for the physical strength to work and achieve. Taking credit for all that God has given us, never realizing that it could have been so different apart from God. Perhaps a limited mind, unable to to be developed, a weak or a challenged physical body. That could have been reality. Only God can create ex nihilo, out of nothing, God is the only one who could do that. God didn't combine all these different elements that he found already in existence and put them together and say, oh, here's a tree. Oh, here's a mountain. Oh, here's a person. God created everything that is out of nothing. The rest of us, we have to use something. We can't create anything. We can only rearrange the parts. 
And so we use the resources that God has given to us to create something, to make something. And we should always thank God for those resources and what we accomplish with them. And so really there's no such thing as a self-made man. There's no such thing as a self-made woman. And if you're still thinking that there is, you put that self-made man, you put that self-made woman in the dreadful, vast desert and you see how well they fare. God knows human nature. He knows our nature. How quick we are to take credit. How quick we are to forget. And so the reminder comes again in verse 18. Look there. Remember the Lord your God. For it is He who gives you the ability. He who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Romans eleven thirty six. For from Him, through Him, to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. That's what a humble person knows. Do you know that? All things from God and through Him. All things are to go back to God. To God be the glory for what He has done forever and ever. Amen. That's what a humble person knows. That's the proper perspective. And it's only the person who has been humbled and therefore is humble that can live this out always. But we need to remember this as well. Whatever God ordains, Satan opposes. Do you know that principle in your life? Whatever God ordains, Satan opposes. Do you believe that? So if God here is calling us to be humble, if God is calling us to to that, then, then what is Satan tempting us to? To pride. Whatever God wants us to be, Satan wants us to be the opposite. If God's calling us to humility... Satan will tempt us to be proud because it will cripple us. If God is calling us to dependence, Satan is tempting us to independence and self-sufficiency because it will cripple us. As we've said, self-sufficiency and independence limit us to ourselves and deprive us of the limitless resources of God. But cripple is really too mild of a word For what the pride Satan wants us to have will do to us. Pride will kill you, literally. Pride will kill you, literally. Because there is one thing that you absolutely cannot do for yourself. You cannot save yourself. You cannot. You cannot give yourself life. You can't work hard enough. You can't be good enough. There is nothing that you can do to prepare yourself to meet God and have life in the next world that really exists. There's nothing you can do except this one thing. And what is it? Trust Christ. And that's why the gospel is so difficult for people. So abrasive, so offensive, so insulting. Religion is not difficult for people. Religion allows you to do a lot of good stuff. You can do lots and lots of good stuff and you can feel really, really good about yourself. Look at all the good things I do. Look at all the people I help. I am so wonderful. And you can think that you're going to obligate God to think very highly of you as well. That's what religion does for you. But the gospel breaks you. It breaks our pride. And none of us, none of us are easily broken. 
The gospel takes us to that vast, dreadful, barren desert of death. And in that vast and barren and dreadful desert, there's just you and the Lord. Only you and the Lord. And only the Lord can help you. But you don't want to acknowledge that. And so you look around in the desert for something, anything, that you could find just to scrape together some little something to eat. Maybe some little plant that you could suck just a little bit of moisture out of when you are thirsty. Surely I can find something. But you look around and there's nothing. There are no resources to make anything. There's just you and the Lord Jesus who is, by the way, saying, come to me. Come to me. All who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. That's what the Lord is saying. Some people, proud people, would rather die. They would rather die than call on the name of the Lord. And you know what? Die is what they will do without question. Maybe there are people here this morning, I don't know all of you, who would rather die than to embrace the gospel, to associate it with weak-minded, weak-willed people who, who glory in being dependent. That's not for you. But let me just tell you, If you won't be humble, you won't be saved. Humility takes us beyond ourselves to Christ. And it causes us to reach out from that vast and dreadful desert of sin and grab on to the only one who can rescue us, who can provide for us, who can take us out of that desert and into the promised land. For those of us here this morning who have believed the gospel, we've got to keep living our lives in humility. We've got to remember and never forget that we could not save ourselves. We've got to remember and never forget that the Lord has done for us what we could never do for ourselves. The challenge for God's people who learned humility in the nothing of nothingness of the desert was going to be to remember humility in the bounty of the promised land. The challenge was to remember that God brought them there and God blessed them there. And so we've got to remember that humility when God blesses us as well. The humility that sings every day, great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. All I have needed, thy hand has provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. And finally, and quickly, just this. You know, humble people are attractive people. Proud people are not so attractive. They're kind of off-putting. Proud people are always uh, trying to position themselves. But you know what? Humble people are comfortable with themselves because humble people are comfortable with the Lord. They are at peace. They are at rest in Christ. And that's why our humility is so necessary. If you and I are going to go out of these doors and engage and transform our culture, that in case you haven't noticed, tends to be a little self-centered and just a touch narcissistic. In a culture like that, humility truly is a real attention getter. And humility doesn't mean that we think less of ourselves. It just means that we think less about ourselves. And so what do you think is going to happen when you start thinking less about yourself and thinking more about Christ and more about other people? What do you think is going to happen when you look to 
and ask for and depend on God to provide for you from his limitless resources. I think our lives and our world is going to change. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you truly this morning for your faithfulness to us. And Lord, we confess before you that in our hearts it's very difficult to be humble people. It's very difficult to be dependent people. Everything that's within us fights for our independence. To be independent, to live independently of you and of others. We think, Lord, we've really arrived when we don't need anyone else. Lord, that is such a lie from Satan. We need you. We need others. We need to be dependent people. Because dependent people are never far from you. Dependent people are are never far from their place of prayer. Looking to you, Lord, for everything to provide every need in our lives. So I pray, Lord, that you would cause us to be humble, dependent people. And Lord, that we would be set free from uh, the temptation to, to limit ourselves to what we can provide for ourselves. And Lord, you would open up the world of your provision to us. That we would be excited about what you can do in us and through us when we humble ourselves before you and let you lift us up. So we pray that we would... Uh, Be that uh, only through the power of your word and your spirit. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.